Welcome to Network Capital uh, TV, Mahmood. Uh, thrilled to have you here. You are, uh, you know, a leading example of passion economy in the middle of chaos. So really excited to learn more about your journey, uh, what you're doing to, um, you know, democratize philosophy and take it to the marketplace. You know, we always on Network Capital love to demystify what makes interesting careers and how people stumble upon so maybe you can get us started by telling us who you are and what do you do today. I just like to tell you, we also have uh, a Gita here uh, um, who's going to be co-hosting the show today and asking you about the brilliant and beautiful and slightly crazy world that you come from. So tell us who you are. Uh, yes, first off, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here and to engage in the discussion. Uh, my name is Mahmoud, and uh, long story short, I quit my academic job to pursue a freelancing kind of online philosophy courses career. Uh, so I taught at university, I have a PhD in philosophy, uh, my undergrad was in finance, and uh, master's PhD in philosophy, I taught at two universities here in Lebanon, Beirut, uh, for seven years in total before I decided to quit uh, for several reasons. We can discuss them uh, later on. But then I found myself kind of stumbling upon this online world via several kind of routes. And uh, with time, I realized that I can maybe at least until now do this, like teach online courses philosophy. And I'm trying to build a community of people who are interested in philosophy. So I'm trying to bring back philosophy to the marketplace, kind of. Phenomenal. Gita, yeah. don't you see parallel with your own life? Um, I, I do see, especially around the part leaving academia. Like I also did a PhD, but then I realized that it, it was like maybe a little bit too disconnected from, from the real world for me. So I went uh, into the industry, although like it wasn't philosophy at all. It wasn't philosophy. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was your PhD? In... Computer science. Oh, computer science. Yeah. yeah. I think there are a lot of similarities as well there and the backgrounds. Like uh, on the one hand, computer science versus philosophy, of course, they're not similar in that sense. Yeah. But then from, from what I've gathered is that it can get all too abstract and people in academia just get disconnected. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. loving the complexity for the sake of complexity. Exactly. So <laughs> they, they sometimes it's, it's very easy to lose track of what one is is actually doing or is trying to do yeah uh, so it's nothing against academia like, like i don't want this to come off as i hate academia it's just that at least for me it wasn't because you mentioned passion passion economy like i love yeah. teaching and i really enjoy teaching this is this is in a way my passion amongst maybe other things but uh, i spent more time trying to do other things in academia mm. than to just do what i love most yeah, uh, and I tweeted about this a few a few days ago. It's uh, I spent like more than half of my time at university grading papers and doing all sorts of stuff that just drain you exhaust. Uh, it's 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 really really exhausting. And now all I do is focus on the courses I'm gonna teach, 
and of course like you know some trying to put some content out there for outreach exposure etc but then yeah i just focus on on teaching yeah so it's, it's, isn't that quite, beautiful building a community teaching doing what you love and uh, again like gita and you have phd in common and both of your academics who went abroad to pursue prestigious phd's and you and i have community building in common and uh, my vp of product and you have philosophy and political science in common mm-hmm. so it's like a really interesting mix and uh, many of our listeners come from a wide range of backgrounds mamut so what we've discovered is that uh, passion isn't uh, you know nobody comes and drops an apple on your head and you don't discover passion for you know randomly how did you discover your passion for philosophy uh, especially as a finance major as an undergrad uh yeah it's uh, it's quite uh also maybe a funny story because and or maybe not ironic uh when i was doing my uh, undergrad in finance uh 2007 2008 the market crash uh so it was some sort of i was i started having questions about what the hell was going on so i started asking questions around no one knew what was going on I stumbled on a philosophy course and I realized that philosophy people ask these questions which people in finance were not even trying to think about right. at one moment. They're, 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 so in finance you know you just have answers. Uh and uh, this is it like no, no one is bothering maybe thinking about uh the reasons behind why something is the case you only study a few formulas and that's it. In philosophy I saw that people or like you know different philosophers are asking questions trying to understand the world around them and this is where i found my passion at the beginning yeah coupled with the fact that i come from lebanon which i wrote an article about it uh war and death you see around you so you start asking yourself all these questions about you know the point of it all uh what am i doing here like really so you it, it becomes concrete right when you've gone through different experiences in life and uh you don't find or you you're trying to make sense of it all and i found philosophy to at least it tries to do that like you know asking trying to understand if you want the world i think it's impossible uh to be lebanese and not enjoy philosophy because that makes life very hard to uh go through you know because so much happens in your part of the world so quickly at so many levels uh from bomb blast to political turmoil to economic mayhem yeah. as a young professional it can be really uh you know mystifying we just learned yesterday in financial times that your prime minister is like uh, on the verge of uh, earning 1000 um a month as salary yeah. so i can only imagine what the common person on the street is doing uh it's quite tough See this is uh this is yeah it's uh, uh I I don't know what to say to be honest but it's uh, because now you can you can think in terms of okay but what is the point of philosophy to begin with what are we trying to do or like what's the point of it all no all of a sudden overnight you see you you realize that if i were still teaching at university my salary would be worth now 100 dollars uh, 100 dollars a month yes and uh, people have lost their savings many people uh, can't even like uh, many people were laid off they they're unemployed now it's it's very tough so yeah it gets you thinking eventually <laughs> yeah so yeah. 
especially with political turmoil. So you start thinking to yourself, like, what the hell is going on? You know? uh, and what are we? So, and in addition to the the explosion and all these things, you start thinking to yourself, uh, what do I really want to do in life? In a way, you know, uh, it's like, does it matter to be angry at things that are not important or that are not uh, you're not really fond of or are interested in pursuing so you i started re-examining things following yeah. the uh, yeah the devaluation of the lebanese pound and all the the economic turmoil and i thought to myself you know what yeah no i want to do things that i enjoy doing so yeah yeah and then the internet allows you to do that right but let me i mean before we start diving deep into your book and your alternate career let me ask both you and uh, Gida the question, why do you care? Like, shouldn't you not care? I mean, you're on the verge of very serious political, personal, professional turmoil. Like, why do you care about Lebanon or uh, any, anything of that sort? Why do I care? I'll, I'll leave this question to, to her to answer first. <laughs> do you, do you I, care? That's, that's, that's probably yeah. a more pertinent question. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, I do. I do still care a lot. Like I, I wish, I wish I was able to kind of uh, harness in me this ability to care less about Lebanon over the years. But actually, it, it's just not happening. So I've been abroad, like outside of Lebanon, for like more than twelve years. But every time something happens in Lebanon, and unfortunately, things keep happening, like. We, just like the situation is, is really um, digressing uh, exponentially, but it's always been bad in some way or another. Um, I cannot just dissociate myself from it, uh, not only because like my parents and the large chunk of my family still lives in Lebanon, but because also it's like the place where I've grown up. Um, and because I still dream in some way that things could be different, um, yep. Yeah, like just wishful thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, this is this is partly also what uh, what I've gone through. Like I, uh, this is the romantic view that one might have as a twenty-one years old. I thought to myself, you know, what philosophy is very. It seems to be very important. We need to ask these questions to think about the status quo of um, etc. And I was like, yeah, I want to get a PhD, come back and teach at. At yeah. university here because Simple. it's much needed yeah particularly philosophy in this part of the world uh to just get people to think without even giving them answers because everyone seems to have uh here answers hmm. and it didn't work right it, for me it didn't work but then i started realizing that even in academia the at least here they're not really interested in trying to resolve or to try to think about these issues in a way that relates to their lives, to their daily mm -hmm. lives. It's just about, you know, the abstract, uh, this person said that, this person said that, and then that's it. Uh, grades is also, or, or play an important role and just, you know, students show up, they want to take this course and that's it. So bit by bit, uh, I started kind of losing interest in, in, in Lebanon thinking, you know what, it's, it's a hopeless case but then part of me deep down unconscious kind of unconsciously i i keep on trying to yeah i it's it's this 
contradictory feeling, let's say, that I have. Yeah. On the one hand, I, 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 I think I lost interest and I just want to do my own thing and not care. But the, on the other hand, I see other people who care and I'm like, yeah, maybe I should care a bit. So why do I care? Because as, as Rita said, it's um, in addition to the fact that we have families, etc. It's, it's, it's just sad to see that so many people who could be doing a lot of great things here uh, are just either unable to uh, or no one is willing to give them the space to actually do, particularly when it comes to things like to be more concrete, you know, we have electricity problems, we have uh, governance problems, we have policy problems, etc. And so many bright people who could uh, provide their expertise to try to help us get out of this predicament. But and it's really ironic because most of you have PhDs and masters yeah. and advanced <laughs> degrees. It's, just yeah. Like yeah. So it's a very educated country yet. And like, yep. actually, like if you look at the Lebanese diaspora, it's, it's quite successful. Uh, but yeah, uh, Lebanon is political well. stalemate. This is so, so I've what I've been trying to do in my own way, in a way that does not really, uh, uh, that is not uh, that exhausting, let's put it this way, that it doesn't take a lot of energy or suck the energy out of me. I was trying to hold these. On the one hand, I started the podcast after the uh, uprisings of October 2019. And then I started uh, because I, I became busier. Now I'm holding marketplace talks. Uh, try to have people from Lebanon and elsewhere who are doing interesting things to try to address certain issues related to Lebanon or not, but then, you know, trying to, I don't know, get people to be interested and get them to see that there are other people who are doing interesting things and that we, yeah, there are people who can take us out of this political statement and this predicament. Culturally, academically, in terms of values, just like uh, Lebanon stands out, like uh, the the religious uh, pluralism that exists, uh, the the ancient culture, mathematics, the number of the efforts that we've discussed already. You have great literature coming out. Um, uh, it's just like fascinating to see so much talent and so much chaos coexist. Perhaps yeah. what makes such phenomenal philosophers. My question to you um, is now a little focused on what are you observing uh, on the ground uh, that uh, that made you write the book? And tell us a bit more about the book that you authored recently. What's it called? And what? how did conversations with people make you change your mind about the rigorous academic PhD uh, training that you went through? Uh, yeah, uh, it's... Uh... It's, as you said, these uh, two different kind of uh, conditions exist in a country. On the one hand, uh, maybe chaos gets you to start thinking about uh, the way things are and try to be creative in a way to find solutions. No? Yeah. So, for like example, Russia is a great example. Russian Revolution, complete chaos and great literature coexisted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's why uh, Lebanese uh, are highly educated. It's, uh, so you, 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 those who are capable of affording uh, a decent education and to try to get out of the country eventually are seeking a PhD because 
one of the reasons why a PhD is important is because it can be your uh, your ticket out of Lebanon. Yeah, uh, that's one reason. On the other hand, um, yeah, so uh, that's where I started doing my my freelance thing, and this is why I I thought of writing a book because yeah. I on the one hand I found myself you know stuck here. Uh, my salary was almost worth nothing. So I thought to myself, how can I at least generate some income in, in USD that is yeah. to try to compensate for the loss of uh, the value of my salary. So yeah, this is on where courses on the one hand and on the other hand, the book. So uh, the main idea, the book is called Sardonically Speaking. Uh, what uh, stand-up com- what Socrates stand-up comedians and rappers have in common. So it's she's it a stand-up comedian, a comic as well. So she, she is. Really yeah. Really uh, <laughs> Actually, so, he, he asked me the question, "What do you think they have in common?" I was like the sense of humor and like the absurdity, and then you, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's where it was coming from. Like, what what does it? What do they have in common? Uh, Socrates, stand-up comedians, and rappers. On the one hand, they question. The systems they've they've always questioned systems so socrates uh challenged the system they started asking questions about how things were in athens uh asked people about definitions of concepts like justice and beauty and love and because of his questioning he was sentenced to death the athenians yeah. did not like him because he was disrupting the system and so i thought to myself partly like it could be it could have been any uh any other uh, group of people or uh, professions, right? I, I chose stand-up comedians and rappers because uh, I myself am a big fan of rap and of stand-up comedians. So stand-up comedians seem to do the same thing, right? They question in a very in a very nice way, very kind of subtle way. They start questioning. They are like tricksters. They get you to think about your values, the norms. Uh, things that are taken for granted in a society, and it gets you to think about these things, but with a uh, with a certain sense of humor, acidic sometimes. It depends on on your the stand-up comedian, and rap did does up to a certain point the same thing. So this hmm. uh, you know questioning systems, but it does it. Why? Where is this coming from? Like as compared to academia, it's because. These people have been doing it like with with a certain sense of irony. Their attitude was some was in a way laid back. Uh, they they don't think they don't take themselves too seriously. And I think this is essential in our endeavor to try to do anything in life to begin with. If you take things all too seriously, you become all too dogmatic about your ideas, about your views, about your values, and you would not entertain other opinions. Yeah. Uh, you would not be open for maybe to considering other viewpoints, uh, perspectives, to put yourself in other people's shoes. So uh, Socrates himself the, in the Platonic dialogues, well, we don't know anything about Socrates, but he had this from, from the dialogues. He, were, he had an interesting sense of humor and irony. Mm. And I think it's essential. I did not find that in academia, at least where the within the circles that I was uh, uh, involved in. People were all too serious and dogmatic about what they were doing. It's like everything is, you know, within the establishment. This is how we do things here. Yeah. You just have to do things as they are being done. 
and that's it. And so if you try to get people to reconsider things or to entertain a few ideas, etc., you're you're automatically uh, I don't. It's not put on exile kind of, but yeah, you you wouldn't be able to. Actually you won't get the tenure. Your peer, yeah. peer your your journals will not get uh, accepted. So it's a real yeah. challenge, and you know, uh, which is what's causing such a lack of trust in institutions. So, um, what challenges and what similarities have you observed between, say, academia and entrepreneurship? What are the differences, and what are the differences between, say, academia and the tech world? So, question to both of you. Hmm. One is obviously one is anti-status quo, and the other is, you know, very status affirming. Uh, yeah. Anything else that you may you have so many See, examples in the book? Maybe you can share some of that. Uh, yeah, and before that, I think I, I want to, to to touch on 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 your article, the one where you explained uh, your story, or you you uh, uh, described your story. Yes. Should you should you choose your passion over paycheck? Yeah. And and it got me thinking about uh, you know because you're you're into you're trying to develop a, a, a community of uh, mentorship, get people to think about businesses and entrepreneurship in an, in an yeah. intelligent way, hmm. uh, to try to think about the, 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 the important stuff, if you want. And I thought to myself, what's the difference between, between doing that, like having mentors thinking about things, trying to improve yourself versus having a boss or being in a company where you have like they do the same things like workshops and they try to get you to to think about things etc and the difference is that when you're in a company uh you just have like you you just have to follow the orders and you have to follow the orders that uh, are within the interest of the company itself so even though you're growing uh or you're you're improving your skills etc you're doing them within the uh confines of this particular company so you cannot as you uh, in your video say you cannot tinker unless yeah. it's uh, unless the the value of the company or what they do is actually they, they they allow you to do that right but if you're doing it on yourself by yourself just like I'm doing this now uh, of course I need I need to learn from other people I need to ask other people about what, how I can improve <laughs> myself I, I keep on reading uh, researching and reading about how other professors or people have been teaching online or people who have are entrepreneurs have businesses online etc and my interest in what they're doing is different like i'm genuinely interested in this work i learn from it and i try to apply it in a way that i am interested in mm. i don't know if i'm if if i'm explaining myself here but it's uh, so it's you in a way it gives are. you it gives you the space not only to grow, to do what other people are trying to tell you or are, uh, have, have in a way imposed. You're doing it and you're trying to learn from it and, and you get to do things you didn't know you were able to do before, for example. So yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the main difference. Like I'm, I'm still teaching, right? Yeah. But what's the difference now here? Well, uh, I've learned a lot about marketing. I've learned a lot about uh, online businesses. I've learned uh, teaching has been even more challenging because it's online on the one hand and because I'm not teaching uh, a certain age group, uh, 18 to 21, I'm teaching people from all walks of life. 
and from yeah. across the globe. Like I've had people from India and I've had people from the US and Mexico and Europe. It's so it's a, it's it's a learning experience. Hmm. Uh, I think yeah. it's a fascinating space and. Uh, Gita, maybe you want to weigh in on the difference between academia and tech uh, before I dive deep into the portfolio of careers that uh, Mahmood uh, slash DCAF has uh, developed. Yeah, sure. So definitely there are differences. The main ones, I would say the pace of things. Uh, things move much fastly uh, and, and like the business world and then the tech world um, compared to, to research. Um, a lot of emphasis on experimentation, like creating something quickly and testing it and iterating and learning from failure versus uh, really like debating all, uh, you know, like the academic approaches and having all the academic rigor before like suggesting something. And to be honest, like transferring, transferring from academia to tech has been a little bit challenging to me, um, like uh, to the business world and tech, I mean, has been a little bit challenging in the sense that I tend as someone coming from academia to say, well, I've done this analysis, but there is likelihood of it being wrong. I don't go with all my confidence and saying, well, this is a takeaway, go and do an action on it, or let's do an action on it. Whereas in the business world and tech business world in particular, you need to be confident. You need to come and say, well, this is, this is what should be done. Like you should be sure, you should kind of portray this kind of, um, you know, this, this attitude this false of confidence. Charisma. Yeah. yeah, otherwise you're taken, you're not taken seriously. Um, so that's, that's also like a, a good adaptation that need, needed to happen. Uh, the other thing like beyond, uh, beyond the pace is like the complexity of things. You don't, you don't do complex, um, you don't solve complex problems just for the sake of solving them. The problems need to, to make business sense and to bring like tangible and very yeah. measurable uh, business, uh, business value. Uh, and uh, finally, the collaboration. I mean, definitely the collaboration exists in the academic world, but um, in, in, uh, in the business world, it's, it's really like very required. You cannot spend, um, like I spent many months during my PhD just in my corner. This is really not possible um, in, in like the tech business world, I would say. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's... Uh... Now, let me get both of you to react to this question. It works in practice, but it doesn't work in theory. What would you say to that? It works in practice. It doesn't work in theory. So that's the whole divide, right? There's a big joke running around in the UK, in the academic <laughs> where they say that, you know, I see this practically working, but I can't find a theory to back it up. Exactly, yeah. Like, what have been your examples that you've stumbled yeah. upon? And tell me about some of the characters, the fascinating Eminem, Plato, <laughs> Schopenhauer, they appear. Tell us about it. Uh, how did you conceptualize this? How did you construct the book about uh, 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 practicality versus theoretical uh, challenge that often comes up? Yeah, uh, it's uh, focusing only on, on theory is is can be a bit uh, interesting on the one hand, particularly maybe in, in her case, uh, computer science. Like I, this is just uh, a 
tangent point, I now understand why computer scientists are interested in philosophy. But that's a different <laughs> point. Uh, we can discuss that later. Um, and she is reading Schopenhauer right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, the the reason why I chose, like, I've, I've, on the one hand, I tried to to do the book. To it's it's for starters, it's a very short book, right? It's a twenty thousand words kind of ebook, which is around. It's almost an essay, but. Uh, I wrote it, and as I mentioned towards the end, I wrote it in, as a way of to try to, as a cathartic kind of way to, to purge myself from, from academia. Like I needed to take it out of my system to try to start doing other things on the side. Uh, and, in, and on the other hand, I tried to, as I wrote the chapters or uh, the points I was trying to make, I, I wanted to get uh, those who are going, the, the readers, uh, you guys, whoever uh, read, uh, to try to relate to a, a certain set of issues, the first of which, as you mentioned, is the theory versus practice. Uh, and uh, this, the theory for, versus practice on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, questioning uh, uh, the system, trying to understand, our, to question our belief systems, etc. And uh, in doing so, I, I mentioned a few philosophers like Plato, Socrates, Schopenhauer, and Paul Feyerabend, whom I love as well. Some, yeah. some uh, comedians like uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Jim Jeffries. And I tried to create some uh, uh, fictional characters uh, for people to just so tell us about what them. I'm those fictional about. characters, uh, our listeners would love them. Like, tell us about the uh, the two very interesting characters that you imagined. I know, I'm, I know, pretty sure they're not so fictional. They must be a part of either the, your Spanish adventure or your Lebanese adventure. Yeah. So, tell us. Uh, so it was it was a way of trying to um, uh, to create characters that would embody uh these uh, different uh, schools of thought philosophical schools of thought uh so you have uh, on the one hand the relativist the person who thinks that everything is just relative and uh, there is no universal truth and then you have those people who think that no there is one truth and they are dogmatic about it um Georgina Relativina. I I forgot actually the the, the second uh, the second character. I don't know if you can. Uh, yeah, it was uh, something abstractus. Uh, uh, yes. So there are three because they they get uh, they get married and and they have a yeah. they have a kid. Yes. Uh, let me let me try to. But be the beauty, the listeners of the characters that he developed, and what I loved about Mahmoud's work. Yeah. So Georgina Relativina. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's a self-proclaimed sophist carrying a long line of family traditions that go back to her distant relative, uh, Gorgias. Uh, I'll, I'll say a few things about her shortly, but yes, tell me, sorry. No, I was just saying that the characters that you developed and uh, the rappers that you found, Tupac, uh, you know, and many others, Eminem, who make appearance in your book on philosophy, is that, you know, you've managed to basically create the most interesting dinner table in the world. Imagine with abstractus Jade, Plato, Eminem, yes. <laughs> uh, Tupac, all of them having dinner. I mean, I would pay a million dollars if I had mm -hmm. that much money to uh, come and sit and have food with them. Uh, yeah, I, I also thought about doing something similar. It's, um, yeah, because philosophy or not only philosophy, like wh what are we doing here? 
right? Uh, now, uh, having a discussion about ideas and we are yeah. trying to explore and we are looking at different viewpoints and uh, uh, Rida is, uh, has a, comes from a certain background, you come from a certain background, we've all had different experiences. And this is going back to the practice versus theory. So, and this is something I found also uh, in trying to uh, venture into the real world, basically. Uh, I have, I can do things in two different ways. On the one hand, I can show up and tell you, this is how you can do things, or this is how, this is the right way of doing things. Like if you want to, to become a freelance teacher, uh, these are the steps that you have to take. And I can create an argument about it, and I can abstract the argument and tell you, you know what, this is the truth. But then this is what they do, usually what they do in academia, particularly philosophy, right? They, we try to abstract things, we try to come up with arguments, and it becomes about the argument more so than the experience. But then if I show up and tell you, you know what, I don't know what works. I don't know whether this will work, but this is how it was for me. And this is how it worked for me. And this is my experience. And I just put it out there and you read it. I'm not trying to convince you about anything. You think there might be a few things interesting there. You learn from it. Uh, we discuss, we learn from each other. We try to yeah. build bridges yeah. and we are better off doing it that way instead of just sitting down and argument you know what no my experience is better than yours or my argument yeah. is better than yours and this is where abstractive jade and georgina relativina come come in it's uh, philosophy professors at conferences for for example they fight and i saw that right these are my experiences they they fight over things that are really not useless, but it's like, is it really worth it to, to fight over whether Plato said this or said that? Wouldn't it be much better to understand how this can help us living yeah. our lives now to try to make sense of things around us? Uh, and if I present- The narcissism of small differences. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is, so, so yeah, it's um, like, I cannot claim to, to have found the answer of how to do things properly. Uh, and I've been reading books around, you know, they tell you this is what you need to do. But then my experience is that sometimes things like if, if you did all the right things and you followed them step by step, it's not linear. No, it's uh, some things work, some things don't work. Uh, some things you never know how things might work for you. So ultimately it boils down to the concrete experiences of, yeah. of people. So, yeah. so this is this is where the idea of the book came came from. Like, a, how about I just say my experience, tell you what I've been through, and try to make a few maybe conclusions about it, and let you decide what you want to make out of it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, um, that because, is the way to go. Yeah, uh, because I myself was was also all too caught up in that. You know? Yeah, yeah, you almost got tenure twice, mm -hmm. but uh, for whatever reason, it did not work out. You reached the finals two times, but the call it yeah. politics, call it uh, uh, the Middle East, uh, Middle East things did not work out as planned. Uh, exactly, and uh, I, I tried to play by the book at first. I tried to do things like the right. This is why I'm saying the right way. Like the, you, you, and I also wrote an article about it. You think that. And this is where the sense of entitlement comes in, which I, I thought about and I 
started, I, I like I've gone through this period of self-criticism, trying to understand what was going on. You no, know? because you think we assume that if you've gone to this school, the, did you have the credentials? You have a few publications that you're that's it. You're going to get the job, yeah. or that you're that things are going to somehow work out for you. But in real life, it doesn't work that way. There are so many other things that you have to take into consideration. And yeah, so you have to figure when, when I realized that and I changed my perspective to things and I started exploring new venues and new opportunities and uh, try to tinker into you know, different, uh, uh, let's put the, it's, it wasn't like, it wasn't a business idea, but I tried new things. I started thinking about, you know, the possibility of doing, uh, getting into the business world or to do online courses, etc. With time, you learn what works. With time, you learn what doesn't work. And then things just start happening. Yeah. So you start so connecting with people, etc. But yeah. But I'm, I'm interested in, in Rida's view as well. Like she, I don't know if she has something to say about that. Yeah. Or about that. That'll be wonderful. In fact, I was just about to pose a question of uh, Socrates in Lebanon. Shall we go meta? Yeah, we can go. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's try and paint the picture of what's going on. In, in Lebanon and many other countries uh, in South Asia and otherwise, people are getting killed for having a certain view. People are being branded, you know, uh, how dare you say something? This yeah. is not allowed. It happened recently in Lebanon. It always happens in a few every few years. And Socrates was also, you know, like uh, sent, uh, you know, like sent to heaven with something uh, of that context. Yeah. Why are ideas so powerful and why are people killed for their ideas? Uh, this happens everywhere. But from your point of view and Gita, from your point of view, why is it so acute uh, in certain parts of the world? And what are you observing on the ground? Uh, yeah, I don't... It's from like to not get into all these kinds of uh, details, but I think it's the more and and to put it within the spirit of of uh, sardonically speaking, two things I think when when you take yourself all too seriously and too seriously here it doesn't mean like you're serious about your endeavors. I mean you 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 are not willing to entertain other views. And when you, you think that you and only you have the right answer, yeah. then any, uh, any idea or any discourse or any person who so much as uh, dare not even criticize, just question uh, yeah. these foundations of your beliefs, this this becomes uh, this this poses an existential threat for them, and we're not talking about you know uh, physical or anything. it's just one idea. Why? Because imagine you think like you've you've built uh, by way of analogy like you've you finished building uh, a house, but then I show up and tell you you know what? But it's it's a bit shaky there. Don't you think that there's a problem there with the pillars, etc? You can either consider it, no, uh, and and 
figure out whether you did a mistake there or whether the pillars are actually shaky of the of the house or you would just discard me or you would kill me or not entertain my ideas and it's frustrating for someone to show up and ask questions about that would challenge your belief systems or the way your beliefs like political or otherwise no so uh, yeah this is why i think uh, this is where the problem comes in and this happens not only uh, in, in lebanon like even within institutions if you ask yeah. if you dare start questioning authority you automatically are yeah, yeah. Depends on on the you know company etc. But then you might Never be let go or not given tenure. That's the rule of thumb. Yeah, and in general, even when you ask difficult questions, even in the most you know tolerating kind of environment and ecosystems, you have to be very very diplomatic around it, and it should be framed and in a way that is not. Like that is basically for the better of the existing system, something that questions the system altogether. Um, not welcome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially I would I just add to what Mahmoud said, and I agree with what he said. I feel like when like full um, political systems and you know economic systems are built on this like one person or one party dogmatism when you come and challenge that you're not challenging one person opinion anymore you're challenging like a whole system and it just scares scares the people entertaining and like taking advantage mm. of the system so they just kill you not because you are a real danger just like one person um uh, coming up with ideas and debating them and researching them, you know? Yeah, yeah but it's dangerous. And I I'm, I mean, I'm, my fear is that the world might, if we are not careful about it, the world might reach a stage where there are no philosophers, nobody is questioning. Yeah. And either it could be a big institution or it could be a big technology or it could be an insecure country or it could be a hyper-nationalist country that basically decides to shut everyone up if you ask difficult questions. That will be a world which will be really boring and dull to live in. Also yeah. a dangerous one, I think. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, uh, that's kind of, that's, these are the challenges. So uh, it's, I don't think it will ever happen that uh, people will stop questioning because uh, if you look at history, people have paid the price uh, from scientists to philosophers to, you know, uh, the religious figures, etc., who dared just ask questions or or give a different perspective about things. Yeah. Even so, yeah, like uh, Galileo was sentenced to house arrest because uh, because he was saying something that contradicted the scriptures. Uh, Giordano Bruno was actually uh, burned to death. So it's 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 not only Socrates, and it's it's been happening through and through. But now it's so we we are still facing the same issues now, as yeah, as you said, now, corporations, Twitter can cancel you, and and just because you said yeah. something that might contradict or that might question views that they have deemed universally true already. Yeah. I think this debate is about or discussions about to enter into tricky territory because look, the cancel culture has been discussed and there are many, 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 many sides to it. For example, uh, Donald Trump being canceled or somebody else being canceled, there are lots of arguments for and against it. 
um, which we can go into. But uh, I not would necessarily. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which 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 we not which we which I'd rather not. That would be uh, perhaps for a later day. But what I find fascinating about you, Mahmood, is that you've taken something really abstract and taken it to the marketplace in the time where your company is going through utter chaos. You've used yeah. the internet, used Gumroad. I'm an investor in Gumroad. Oh. Um, uh, and uh, looked at uh, many other passion economy software, written a book, started a consulting business, um, really opened up the boardroom and philosophy divide. I find it, this is passion economy at its best. So tell me about the early days. Tell me the day you sent in your resignation letter, what time of it, what were the dilemmas that you had? Um, and did you have some sort of a momentum going with Decaf Quest or were you like still in the early phases, nothing figured out? Uh, yeah, and uh, that's that's kind of where I was uh, telling you. We this is where uh, our stories might be different because I really didn't have a side hustle. I hmm. I tried to two years ago. I tried to do something like uh, to, to get into a consultancy, do something on the side with a friends of mine, but then it died out. Uh, but the idea, yeah, it uh, it stayed with me. I was thinking about it, but. Um, yeah, I, I did not do anything about it. So what was happening was that I, the reason, there are two reasons why I, I resigned. Uh, on the one hand, because of the devaluation of the Lebanese pound, and my, my salary was almost worth nothing. And uh, the other reason was because I had recently, like March 13, we had received the confirmation of permanent residency to Canada. So March 14, lockdown. So I, I resigned afterwards. Like I resigned uh, two weeks later. I told the chairperson, you know what? That's it. I'm, I'm going to Canada. I did not know when we were going to be able to go there, but then travel restrictions and whatnot. Nine, almost a year later, I'm, I'm still in Lebanon. So <laughs> uh, I really had no, almost no other choice but to start thinking, right? I, I thought to myself, you know, look, I have... Two options. I can either stay at, at university and teach, like make a few in, some income to pay my expenses, or I can force myself to quit and force my myself to figure something out. So I had nothing to lose yeah. because my salary had already become just peanuts. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. And and even my savings were stuck in the bank, so yeah. we're, we we were in quite the pickle. So I I really had no downside. Like, what's the worst that could happen? A few months but, later, an explosion. But then you know, it's uh, thank thank <laughs> goodness, and we're still alive. But uh, but yeah. So I I thought to myself, okay, let me start thinking seriously about this. And I for 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 two or three months, like March, April, and May. I was considering a few things. Um, should I write a book first, or should I? What should I do? Should I start sending my resumes to do for for jobs, etc.? And in May, it dawned on me, and I thought to myself, you know what? Why don't I teach online? Yeah. And I posted a tweet, uh, and let me uh, just. It's, and were uh, you? Did you have a Twitter following back then? Now you are a pretty famous person on Twitter, but back then <laughs> were you? Uh, no, like it's. Uh, I I I don't even consider myself like. Well, I now I have some followers, but back in the day, but I I never thought of Twitter as such. 
Okay. I had yeah. never thought of Twitter as, you know, audience and I can, people can actually, like I never oh, thought of Twitter as a, you deal with as a business. Yes. Yes. I like, yeah, that, that was it. I, I never really thought of Twitter as a, a platform that where I can do business. So you hear mm-hmm. about social media and business and online stuff, right? This is theory versus practice. And putting valuable content out there. Like you hear these here and there, no? But then, so I posted a tweet yesterday about Descartes. It's a very short tweet about how Descartes used to love to, was not a morning person. And then Queen Christina of of, of Sweden had him teach her at 5 a.m. and he died a year later. And this got me like, interactions, engagement, and people ask me, asking me about the courses, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like yeah. you learn how social media gets you or opens new opportunities for you. So Mahmoud, the- I don't know if you know this, but my book came out in August uh, 2020. And uh, I think around the time you would have quit your job is the time when I would be in the middle of writing my book. Oh. And I remember seeing that tweet. And I've actually seen your account followership grow from like 50, like an unknown professor with 50 followers to now running a successful passion economy course. So, you know, now of course I'm able to connect the dots, but I remember that tweet actually. Uh, Yeah. The first first tweet like about this, uh, about the courses was in May 11, right? So this is is a different kind of uh, tweet. I was uh, going to go back uh, to that. And what I said was, uh, I'm, I'm reading fellow tweets. Anyone potentially interested in a nine weeks online course on existentialism and literature? And I posted a screenshot of the syllabus. And uh, I had people uh, expressing interest. So I thought to myself, huh, this, this can be actually a thing. Yeah. Uh, and we heard yeah. even Talib uh, engaged with you on a wide range of this issues. was the one in in uh, in august yeah, the, yeah. The, this was a the, the other uh because i i taught another uh like my uh the i i finished this existentialism and literature in july and i uh, launched a, two new courses in august that i think this is the these were the tweets you you saw with nasim who retweeted yeah uh, yeah, yeah. So from this existentialism and literature, I had uh, 40 people sign up uh, over two different sections. paid you money to participate in this nine-week course. Imagine. Isn't that beautiful? It's like, how, why? I I did not understand why would someone just, you know, pay for a philosophy course. Yeah. You must be thinking, I do this day in, day out in the university, spend all my time grading assignments and... uh, you know, making no money for it. And here are people dying to learn from me and actually pay me money. Imagine that. Yes. No, but seriously, it's like, no matter how much you try to imagine it, it's still fascinating. It's, I, yeah. I, I, I keep on asking people like, why? And of course, like there's value to it, but a value that I did not understand before. Yeah. Right. So in, in academia, because my experience was, of course, you get students who are interested in philosophy and etc. But then I used to teach courses, uh, three courses, you know, 23 students uh, in each class. The majority are in it because they want the grade and that's it. And all yeah. of a sudden, 
I have 20 people in each course. Uh, depends, of course, on uh, now I'm teaching uh, an intro to philosophy course. I also have 20 people uh, who signed up. I, I cap them just uh, so you yeah. uh, for people to have an idea. Like my my courses are usually capped at 20 or 30 because I'm more of a discussion based kind of uh, I have a discussion based approach. Uh, yeah. So and they're paying you because they're interested in philosophy and want to learn more. Uh, and are actually genuinely interested in the topic. So it becomes yeah. more challenging for me because now I don't have to focus on, on all the other parts of the bureaucratic parts. I only have to focus on making philosophy accessible to people from different backgrounds yeah. and different experiences. Yeah. And so you start thinking about, okay, I have computer scientists, et cetera, but who have real life experience, who need philosophy because they think it might be helpful for them one way or the other. So I have to find that out during the course and I have to try to cater to these different in interests, experiences, find examples that would make uh, the ideas more accessible to them, et cetera, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm asking or I'm explaining Plato, for example, theory of forms, and computer scientists automatically jump and say, oh, so it's like object-oriented programming kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, so it, it, yeah, I'm learning, they're learning. It's, it's an interesting yeah. experience, yeah. Plato, you want to sign up for that course? I will actually, I, you can count me among your future students. Hell yes, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, actually, you know, I, uh, love what you're doing because on network capital we do the same thing like basically on the screen you see some some fellows there will be thousands of others who will listen to you after this is over uh, our vp of products will work with a design team to edit it and make it super uh, pretty and palatable so that the experience of consuming the content is amazing but everyone you see on the screen is basically a subscriber they subscribe to network capital to be part of the community and take up courses over the weekends, over the weekdays, to learning to build communities, learning to scale products, learning to teach tech. Gita herself teaches uh, technology and data science. I see Karthik, he teaches in back investing and he also learns. So what we're building, I mean, people like you and I are just basically building communities and we're teaching what we know and learning from others. And that's, I think this, the new university will be this. I think Plato will be very proud. Maybe he will have a point of view on object-oriented <laughs> programming as well. But I think this would be, this is a model of learning. Uh, and I think this is not the same as putting content online. This is the difference between live engagement versus something out there. So I was wondering yes. what, what are some, some reactions you're getting from your students in the class? What do they like? What do they dislike? What kind of community are you building? Uh, yeah, actually, what you're doing is 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 also interesting. Uh, so uh, let me try to uh, first uh, understand more. Like uh, their subscribers, and I've seen I've seen the videos, I've seen the the website. But uh, so there are ongoing synchronous courses. Yeah, they're ongoing for... synchronous courses, multiple. So I'll tell you. Uh, so one of our most popular courses is I don't know what I want to do with my life fellowship. I saw, yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw the, the introduction to that, the, your video, yeah. yeah. There's the one going on right now is community building, right? Before that, uh, there was this impact investing. Right after that, there is this investing. So everything that young people care about uh, hmm. 
we take the practical lens, uh, you take the philosophical lens, but the mission is very similar uh, of sort of democratizing learning. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the, this, uh, this is something I found uh, interesting about uh, synchronous learning. Like I, I thought to myself, and this is also why, why many pay to, to take a philosophy course. Uh, in your case also, like there are, there's, there are so, there's so many content out there for free. And I, I also tell people, like, and I thought about it, why do people pay? And many others are surprised, right? Like, why do people sign up for your courses? It's like, you're not doing anything new. Well, I am. I am teaching them synchronously. And we're establishing yeah. a community and engaging in a discussion. So it's not only, they are not only interested in, in learning about Descartes, because they're, there's like everything that has to be said about Descartes and Plato has been already said. So what what I'm this is this is I think where the value comes in for synchronous uh, learning. Uh, people actually get together, uh, they're engaging. They uh, it's and each class is different. Even I can discuss Descartes, but then because of the group and how the questions they ask, and and how they think about the problems and issues, etc., it gets them. It's it establishes a different dynamic within each group, and yeah. I've realized that. So uh, so yeah, this is. Uh, this is the main, one of the main values of synchronous learning, doing that, you know, live. Yeah. Uh, some of the comments, well, any particular uh, aspect you're, you, you have in mind? Yeah, I would, love to, to, I would love to actions? see peer-to-peer -peer learning. Like, what are people learning from each other? What kind of debates do they ask? What happens when people disagree with you and say that, hey, that doesn't make sense? How do you respond to that? Yeah. <laughs> now I don't know about other other uh, uh, other disciplines or other fields, but this is uh, like you don't really always see that in in academia or or the way they react to it. But here, you, if someone shows up and he's like, "Oh, Kant is stupid," you know, I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, "Okay, so my my the the challenge here is I would agree with them. You know what? I I, I fully agree with you, Kant." is stupid but then i try to get them to try to put themselves in in his shoes to try to understand kant from like i tell you know you can criticize all you want but at least try to understand plato first so right. uh yeah this is i try to get them to to the main challenge yeah uh to, to first have a sense of or a grasp of what Plato, Descartes, you know, any philosopher we would be discussing. Uh, the first question I would ask, have you understood Descartes? Then feel free. Like, have you at least tried to understand Descartes? Did you put yourself in their shoes? Did you see where they're coming from? Do you know what they're talking about? If so, then feel free to criticize all you want because this is what we do in philosophy. Yeah. You know, at the core yeah. of it, all of us are teachers. Gita, you want to tell us about the course that you taught in data science in, I think, Egypt. In uh, Jordan. In Jordan, sorry. Everyone is a teacher. Uh, but with what, uh, what synchronous learning, live learning complemented with the community does is that it, it makes it fun. It makes it really engaging. It makes uh, people accountable to who's spending money to they really want to uh, what was your experience in doing that data science course in the Middle East? What did you learn from it? Actually, uh, I did help build like the first course on data science in Arabic on a platform called Drac. Maybe Mahmoud, you know this platform. Um, 
It's actually, you know, it's around like democratizing, um, democratizing online knowledge in Arabic. And I do think they would benefit from a philosophy course to the masses in, in, in Arabic, honestly. Uh, happy to facilitate the connection uh, offline later. But yeah, it was uh, a course on the- What was it called again, sorry? Adrak, Adrak, Adrak. Yeah. Okay. Adrak. Um, it's an initiative of Queen Rania Foundation, but it has uh, like millions of subscribers. Uh, and it's, it's been so far for free. Uh, but they're thinking of like monetizing it. But yeah, it's been like a great experience. It wasn't um, a synchronous experience, meaning that I was like shooting videos and then there were online forums where I would engage. Hmm. But definitely this uh, teaching experience, I think it helped me um, understand more or get in depth more uh, into many principles yeah. that I thought that I understood and I took for granted my knowledge. But at the moment when I had to kind of teach them to someone new, it kind of forced me to really dig deep into my knowledge and how can I articulate this knowledge to an audience that I don't know that can be actually very diverse yeah. in terms of background, age, all of this. Uh, so definitely it was like a very, very interesting experience. Can I ask Mahmoud a question? Please. Okay. So. Mahmoud, I have a question around really like democratizing what you're doing to the masses, starting by like schools, like I mean high schools or even before. Uh, because like I do feel that in many, in many places, actually everywhere, but especially in Lebanon, this kind of dogmatic, um, dogmatic approach is, is triumphing in some way unfortunately, even among people who have PhDs. So it's not only the masses, the uneducated, the disadvantaged who are just following uh, dogmatic uh, statements. It's also some very educated people who are adopting and actually finding arguments, sometimes scientific arguments for these statements, you know? Um, how can we use philosophy as a tool to um, make society better as, as you advocate? And how can we increase the knowledge of philosophy and of the good constructive philosophy uh, among the masses that the better society rather than like holding on to your own opinion or to your own voice? Uh, yeah, a very good slash interesting question. Um, that's uh, that's why I, I thought and at the beginning I, I said I, I what got me into philosophy was uh, this uh, the fact that I realized that there might be a that philosophy is much needed around here. But let me tell you an anecdote where without uh, giving details I once because what you what you said is spot on like I once got into trouble uh, because at a certain school because I taught uh, for, uh, at a high school for a year. Yeah. Because I said, may Zeus be with you. Uh, <laughs> Zeus, Greek, ancient, uh, Greek god, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was, it, it was just, you know, I'm, I'm teaching philosophy. So I, and I have to, you know, uh, give people to, 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 to adopt a trickster approach. But uh, yeah. So how... I, I don't think this will ever happen at, at, at schools or at universities. I, because as I said, it's uh, ultimately everything is, is already too dogmatic, as you said. So 
that's partly why I tried to, or I started a, a podcast, or I tried to do things around here, philosophy, but interested in philosophy is the challenge. How? I don't know. It's just, uh, I really don't know. Uh, but I like I've I've seen it happening at school. It didn't work out, at least for me. Uh, at universities, somehow. But then, as you said, people, even professors, become all too dogmatic. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think it should start from a very early age. But then you like this needs to be coupled with a supporting environment and supporting supporting environment and supporting families. Because if your mom and dad are dogmatic in some way, or like the environment where you're growing is dogmatic, actually they may rebel against against the teacher, uh, against the messenger. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite difficult, and and I tried to do that in in my uh, in my courses. So I don't know if uh, if uh, uh, you guys also relate. You might have had these problems uh, in maybe I don't know where wherever you are, or uh, whether at a at the country level or at a, an institutional level. But yeah. here it's it uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough and, one. To and I understand Rida because this is why I'm asking this question. Like, I don't know if, if we are understanding each other or if, if this is a problem that is more universal. Mm -hmm. right? So here we, it's, it's, it's very problematic in Lebanon because uh, for several reasons, like people just uh, grow up within certain uh, belief systems. Yeah. Uh, religious and cultural and otherwise yeah. and ultimately you have so many people uh, who come from these different backgrounds yeah. uh, and everyone is just all too attached and dogmatic about their yeah. beliefs such that they're not willing to uh, talk to others uh, about the important things like the, 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 yeah. the big questions or things like that so it becomes more of a I'm not better but uh, you know everyone thinks they have the right answer, and this applies also politically, yeah. and it applies uh, in all areas and spheres of, of life. And this becomes very challenging. Like, how can you get people to understand that it's okay to question? Right? So I've, I've, I've been in sometimes, um, for example, things related to, uh, to religion, to God, to uh, other things, uh, politically speaking, right? How do you get people to ask and examine themselves, yeah. which is what Socrates was trying to do. So Socrates was trying to get people to examine themselves because he thought the unexamined life is a life not worth living, mm. right? And the usual question I, I, I get is, but why do I have to examine my life? Like, why do I have to examine my beliefs? I'm happy living this way, you know? So it becomes more challenging, like how Socrates <laughs> was sentenced to death, you know? So how do you do that? I, I really don't know. It's, it's very, how to build bridges? Let's, let, this is the question. And maybe you should uh, teach a course, like maybe Network Capital and uh, uh, DCAF Quest to join hands, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps with the wonderful listeners that we have. 
and create a course. Uh, I'm going to open it up to uh, you know the audience question, and we won't record that. Uh, but before that, I just want to ask one last question. Now you have a portfolio of careers. You you're an entrepreneur. You're a passion economy participant. You are a consultant because now you're taking philosophy to the boardrooms. You're also taking philosophy to the marketplace through your media. How do you divide your life and what does your spouse or your parents have to say about your new life? Um, so I think I'm, I'm still at a very early stage, right? Because uh, like for now, my, my days, uh, during my day, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the one hand, I, there's, there's this part where I'm, I'm preparing for the course because it actually is time consuming preparing for mm -hmm. philosophy courses. And on the other hand, I'm constantly, as you said, thinking about new projects that try to uh, diversify my portfolio because um, uh, optionality is very important. You mentioned Nassim Talib. So for me, I cannot only rely on, you know, only online courses. I need to find new things. So this is where I'm also spending time thinking now about maybe info products, as you said, how-to uh, how kind of things or, or uh, one way of doing this or that. And uh, yeah, and trying to create content online. Yeah. Abstractly speaking, right? Philosoph philosophy on the one hand, uh, marketplace talks, podcast, uh, etc. Try to do things that might be interesting for people to try to build bridges, which is yeah. the the yeah. the motto of marketplace talks. As for my uh, parents or spouse, well, my spouse is in a, my wife is uh, who's Argentine. Uh, okay. She found herself in the same situation as myself. No. Uh, so she ventured into the uh, online world, and now she's teaching uh, Spanish online as well. So I think we're the, it, it makes it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she, she has a class now, by the way, so uh, in the other room. But uh, the idea is, I think it's on the spouse level, it's, it's been easy because we're both in a similar situation, so we support each other. Uh, on a parents level kind of situ uh, case, uh, they saw what was happening, so they're like, <laughs> they like they. There are tangible results because, like, thankfully, I am making a living. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, so it's it's. In my case, it's been maybe like I'm not starting a huge business, so they're they're really my costs are very, uh, very small. So mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, it's just online content kind of thing. So yeah. it. It's easier because at least within these 10 months, you could see results. So yeah. it's, it's more of a, okay, oh, okay. So you're actually making a living out of this yeah. for now. Yeah, I am, thankfully. Substantially what will happen more next? than you're living as a- Substantially professor. more, Substa yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, uh, like, I'm so proud and inspired by that. You know, I mean, you really made the COVID crisis work for you. I mean, the COVID crisis was not easy on your country. I mean, I mean, there was one crisis after the other. And then there was the bomb blast, right? Which literally, you know, ripped off the entire, ripped apart I the entire- I had a class yeah. on that day. Both and I you were in Lebanon that time. I, you yeah, I, yeah. Was in Beirut. Yeah, I lived uh, uh, two kilometers away, so uh, my uh, my uh, glasses were shattered, the, the the windows. So thankfully, it was only that, no injuries incurred. Yeah. Uh, and I had a class. It was the first day of of the either ethics or introduction to philosophy course. 
and the blast was at six, then my class was at eight. And I thought to myself, cancel or not. <laughs> I was not in yeah. a mood to give a class, but then I, I, I thought to myself, because I was, it was the second course I give. So I decided, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give the class. We'll talk about what happened because there were people from Lebanon who also signed in. Uh, and it was more of a group therapy kind of thing. Yeah, uh, we all need group was, therapy at different times. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was horrible. Uh, but yeah, it was so. I I needed to do that for at least in in, in my mind for credibility purpose. I don't want me like even if many people were not aware of of the bomb. So I was like, I need to show up, tell them what happened, talk talk it out for an hour or so, and that's what I did. And yeah, but yeah, thankfully, see, it's that's that's the dilemma I'm usually in. Like I can, I can think of myself as, okay, maybe I, I was able to do this because I have internet, I have a laptop, etc. But then I think to myself, like, really, I don't have a cost. Like, I can, I could as well buy like anyone, I think really anyone who can have access to internet and laptop, which sometimes I understand is a bit problematic, especially in Lebanon with electricity and whatnot. But if you are capable of getting that access, the opportunities are just, there's no limit to them. They're, they're infinite. Yeah. So yeah. if a guy like myself can monetize philosophy, <laughs> like anyone can potentially do absolutely In anything. Lebanon. They can, in yeah. Lebanon. In Lebanon, yeah. on the day of his blast. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that yeah. the world is really... Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I can't help but admire your commitment to show up that day where the bomb went off. I know there are multiple ways to look at it. But when, when, when one you, uh, is starting up and running something that really needs to pay for your bread and butter, you got to show up. Without discipline, you cannot run the fashion economy. It's, uh, you can't be anything in the fashion economy. So Exactly. Uh, that's uh, to, to go back to your question, like uh, the amount of work I, I put into this is much more than I used to work at, at university because at university, you know, your, your salary is, is uh, deposited in the bank every, every other month. So you're fine. There's a sense of stability. But yeah. and here we go back to Nassim Talib again, black swan. It's not a black swan, but then rare things happen and overnight you're you find yourself uh, in a situation that is a bit uh, uncertain. So yeah, I I work a lot now as compared to before, as weird as that might sound, but I work in a way that is actually like I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm not stressed. Also as weird as that might sound, I was much more stressed at my stable job at university. Now it's like I know there's a sense of uncertainty there and instability because at any moment in time I might be I might not have people who might who will sign up but um, I'm I know that I can always explore new options I know I can always have new venues I can always have ways of trying to do things put things out there create content etc so yeah. so yeah and if you ask me do you know where you're heading I don't know because it's still a learning process for me but uh, but yeah, it's the discipline is important because you have to think, you have to prepare, you have to, you know, do your thing, yeah. sort of speak. Uh, and it's been enjoyable thus far. It's been 10 months learning a lot of things. And as you, you say, research, read, 
etc. But the difference now is that I read things that are important for me or that are will help me. Yeah. Right? I don't have to sit down and read stuff I'm not interested yeah. in just great because I need to want to to publish a paper like I know I don't want to publish a paper I want to create a new course and I want to think about it and I want to you know share this knowledge with other people I do that someone for example criticized my syllabus my philosophy of religion syllabus and he's like no this is not how you do it well if, if this was how I wanted to do it I would have stayed at university you yeah. know but here, so if you have audience and they're like, I'm not doing crazy stuff. I'm just spicing it up a bit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you, you get a sense of freedom that is that you don't have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At and I think uh, that freedom that uh, I always see the three levers of work are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Yeah. And uh, clearly speaking to you, listening to you, finding, helping you discover uh, your purpose through philosophy and helping hundreds of others do so. It's just beautiful. I was wondering, Gita, if you had any last questions before we open it up to the audience. No, I mean, this has been really amazing. I look forward to signing up to your course, Mahmoud. Yeah. And you said one thing, Mahmoud, that uh, what uh, if nobody you, signs yeah. up? Well, you have network capital. You will never have a problem of demand anymore. So we, we show that you are our <laughs> philosophy guy now. So uh, rest short. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, really. I, I appreciate it. And I, uh, I saw your book as well. I'll, I'll be reading it uh, soon. Yeah, I hope you do. And I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed hosting you here.